Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the Postcards from a Dying World Star Trek season finale roundup which i'm going to start doing this is the first one but now every time there's a season of star trek that ends i'm going to gather some nerds together and we're going to talk about it because it's star trek and it's awesome and i want to be a part of the discussion and i know you do too out there so uh we're going to be talking about star trek lower decks season two uh, because that's just the most recent one that came out. Well, hopefully, we'll uh, I'll gather another uh, panel of nerds for Prodigy uh, coming up, which is the show, which is of the animated shows. It's the one I'm most excited about. But we'll talk about that later. Let me introduce my panel to you. Uh, Sarah Lynn Mishner is uh, well known to many Star Trek fans because she is one of the most vocal fans. That's how I discovered Sarah was I kept uh, seeing her on, uh, I, I think it's like angry things that make Star Trek fans angry that they invented yeah. themselves, I think is the name <laughs> of the Facebook group that I yep. first discovered, Sarah. And then I heard you on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, which is uh, one of my favorite podcasts. And you're a Star Trek fan with many opinions. And so I've had you in mind since <laughs> I first thought of this. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. And Anna Walsh was uh, suggested to me by another panelist here. Um, Issa suggested Anna. Anna, you are a huge Lower Decks fan. So I suspect you're going to be doing a lot of gushing over this show. Uh, But welcome. I've just been waiting for the opportunity. And you're pinch, pinch hitting today for um, Star Trek author Greg Cox, who um, I Greg is going to be one of the one of the few uh, regulars that I'm going to always, no matter what, I'm going to try to get Greg in here because Greg has been a Star Trek fan since it premiered when he was a little kid, and um, he's he's one of the most knowledgeable Star Trek fans. He just hasn't finished Lower Decks yet. So everybody head to Facebook and shame him for not <laughs> finishing Lower Decks in time. Um, but someone who did just finish Lower Decks, uh, Isa, uh, and now Isa, I know you as Isa Good Clean Fun, uh, but uh, Isa is the lead vocalist of uh, a very well-known hardcore band, straight-edge hardcore band called... In certain Rip- circles. Only yes. in certain circles. <laughs> but you're also a writer-director. You've, ma- you've made a film before. Uh, you're a big film nerd. You s- you literally see every movie that you can, pretty much. I and a uh, lo- lifelong Star Trek fan. But one of the reasons why you were important to me, because I wanted to get your take on this, is because you do a goofy hardcore band in a very serious genre of music and that sounded kind of familiar to me it's something that we're going to be talking about however i don't know necessarily if you're as big i think you are in the skeptical of lower decks club with me so we'll see how this works out 
So I'm, I'm curious to see how our notes match up. Yes. Uh, Sarah, let's start off with your Star Trek origin story and we'll go around. And how did you get into Star Trek and what's your favorite captain and favorite show? Um, I was eight years old when TNG premiered. I remember sitting on the floor and watching it and watching an encounter at Farpoint and being absolutely transfixed. Um, I, it turns out I really needed it too because uh, I was raised by very religious conservatives. Uh, every day I was told that men have spiritual authority over women and stuff like that. And so I, for reasons that I think children can sort of pick up on a lot of stuff that they can't necessarily describe or or explain to others but they can understand themselves in their own private language and as a child I was absolutely like glued to Star Trek and it took me probably until my late teens to understand that the reason that I was so drawn to it would watch it sometimes seven eight hours a day when I was homeschooled over and over again um is because it was everything that I was being denied by my upbringing everything that I was being you know, it was, it was being hidden from me and taken away from me. And so I was completely obsessed and in love with it. Um, and then, you know, it took me a while to think to get around to the other Star Treks because I started with TNG and then I watched the TOS movies also like ongoing as a kid. The, the Star Trek Fourth Voyage Home is my absolute favorite. Um, it's not just my favorite Star Trek movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. So, um, it's, you know, it, 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 I think when Voyager came out, I went through a period briefly where I was sort of disenchanted because it was so obvious what Berman was trying to do with 709 and I was bitter about that. Um, and then I went back to it ultimately, thank God, and, you know, was able to get over it because I think during the dry Trek period, you know, sort of between Enterprise and the JJ Treks when I was like, okay, well, I don't have any new Star Trek, so I better give this old stuff a chance, you know, now that I've gotten over myself a little bit. So now I've watched all of it with the exception of, I, th I have not seen all of the animated series just because it is sort of geared more toward a younger crowd and wasn't really able to hold my attention, but all of them I love, uh, you know, they all have their own strengths and weaknesses, so. Uh -huh. And But now Star Trek Four is no longer the one with the whales uh, <laughs> because of Lower Decks. It is one of the ones with whales. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's a much deeper story than mine uh, <laughs> uh, with Star Trek. Anna, what's your do Star Trek us, origin? Do the rest of us have to follow that? Because I, I can't <laughs> do that. Yeah. I have a good story, but it's much more. But I'm, I'm, that's fine. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm so I my I grew up watching Star Trek and Star science fiction with my dad from um, the earliest time that I can remember. Um, and my dad is like a theater and language guy, so we would watch stuff, and he would always have a running commentary, um, just pointing out like tropes and concepts. And um, so it was both interesting and, as a small child, like very very annoying. Um, but we started watching TOS reruns when I was like probably four um, and it was they were just on like four channels in the UK so they were just on on once a week on a Thursday um, and we would both watch for the concepts but also like it became part of our household culture to do bits um, because Star Trek is so innately funny and I think like the reason that I'm um, Voyage Home is so good is that they had really 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 found their comedic stride and really lent into that but all of that kind of 
all of that stuff was like laid in right from the start. So like me and my dad, when I was like six, we were like running around the house being like, to boldly go where no one has gone before, mm-hmm. to seek out new life forms and beat them with broom handles. Um, because that always seemed to be the end, like meet the new life form, beat them with broom handles. Um, and then TNG happened and I was older and the politics were better. <laughs> Um, so I think not like, in the first two seasons. The first two seasons. No, no, you're completely right. It's very, very terrible. I'm hugely racist, wildly sexist. I'm, <laughs> but, but I would I argue mean, season three of TOS is better than the first two seasons of Next Generation. You. Okay, yes, I, I would argue watch them side by side. Yeah, except um, for a bold, couple of bold statement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm full of hot takes. They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm okay. I mean, I think if you're looking at them as like both their own like journeys they definitely like they come a long way um, yeah, i'm sorry to interrupt you... your origin anna i'm sorry i mean this is my origins this is important to me yeah go for it i'm sorry <laughs> i won't do it again no no you're all good i'm yeah i think i think that you can i mean you can see progress in in both of them and that's interesting enough like because I was brought up in such a progressive way like I was quite hard on the 80s 90s um Trek stuff like the way that they uh so Riker um falls in love with an alien who is non-binary and they end up trying to have a straight relationship and like I was uh like in my teens and just being like but why does it have to be heteronormative um and now I'm like that was fucking bold for network television like at that time that was so much more forgiving now that I have a bit more um a bit more space to see what they were working with um but yes Mm. all right Issa your (laughs) Star Trek origin story okay well uh, so I grew up watching the original series uh in reruns thank you uh and uh (laughs) I you know obviously I loved it it was like my favorite show I read some books I you know I, I, I can't say that I've read every single book but I definitely read a lot of the books uh, and then I was, I've got a few years on you, Sarah. I was in high school when The Next Generation came out. And the first episode was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my my reaction when watching it was not, oh my God, this is awesome. It was, wow, I really hope this gets better. Um, but I had enough, um, you know, enough. I, I was into the concepts and the ideas of Star Trek. I wasn't going to stop watching. Also, I was a teenager. I had nothing to do. So um, I definitely kept watching. And by, I can't remember when what season it just became awesome you know like i haven't i, I did rewatch it relatively recently three. The, all, all, all three. the bourbon era shows got good at season yeah. three yeah season three was definitely very good season four had some really good stuff too um but you know at that point it was like my favorite show like i remember um all my friends we had a big uh watch party for the premiere of season four which is you know the the borg episode of course um and it was like it was that was a cliffhanger you know like you forget they recently released Best of Both Worlds or like 10 years ago in the theaters. And, you know, I got to see it as like a movie and that was cool. But you forget like when it first ran, you had to wait like five or six months to get the next episode. And that was- And there were rumors that Patrick Stewart wanted out. Exactly. You had no idea what was going to happen. Anything could have happened. It was crazy times. And so uh, TNG was definitely my favorite Star Trek show um, to the point where I kind of didn't like anything else after it. I mean, I- I, you know, Voyager was whatever. 
Deep Space Nine had some good stuff, but I never loved them the way I loved Next Generation. And so, you know, the movies were sort of hit or miss. I, I really enjoyed the later Next Gen movies. Like, I, you know, even the ones where you're a little bit like, okay, but they were still really fun. I just liked the characters a lot. Um, and obviously it was like, you know, it was almost like crying watching Picard, just being so excited to see the characters again, you know? So, um, yeah, so that's my, that's my Star Trek origin. And I like the whales one. Yeah. Well, uh, my Star Trek origin story, I also, uh, first watched the reruns on syndication, uh, in the afternoon in Indiana. Um, and, uh, but you know, here's the thing. I don't know the exact release date, but I think the motion picture came out before Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, but, a few years before. Okay, yeah. So yeah. that makes the motion picture the first movie I saw in the theater. Okay. Because the first two memories of seeing movies in the theater that I have are the motion picture and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, you can first, always tell that, that the motion picture came out first before Star Wars because of the, uh, or, you know, before Empire Strikes Back because of the incredible obsession that it has visually with a space odyssey. Right. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. But so the motion picture, like, I don't, I don't think at that age, like I was a little kid, I have no idea how bored I must've been in the motion picture. <laughs> so bored. Yes. Yeah, so bored. That being said, as an adult, I love the motion picture. And one of my hot takes is that I, I think it's the most science fiction Star Trek has ever been. And uh, it's one of my favorites. So I will defend the motion picture. However, uh, Wrath of Khan is my favorite, probably, um, uh, of the movies. And my favorite um, series is Deep Space Nine. Um, I like all Star Trek, pretty much. I like even the animated series. I like, I, I like all of it to, to varying degrees. Um, I am a huge science fiction nerd in general, so I grew, and um, when Issa and I first met each other in the 90s, I was going through a phase where, like, the, especially when I was in college, the only reading for fun I did was Star Trek novels, and so I read, like, over 150 Star Trek novels at one point, um, which was, like, and now, unfortunately, even though I'm friends with a lot of the Star Trek authors, I can't read them anymore because I got really burned out on reading Star Trek novels. Um, that being said, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of all things Star Trek and I'm a huge believer, defender in the Kurtzman era. Um, in fact, I'll wear my Discovery hat around <laughs> and uh, I'm a believer enough in this era that um, I will argue with the haters left and right. Um, I've had to block people on Twitter because they were so negative about modern Star Trek. Yep. Um, and my, my thing about the modern Star Trek is that I think a lot of these haters can't handle how bold that they have made the, the Star Trek universe now um, in, a, in ways that are just completely amazing and surprising going uh, 900 years into the future okay i spoiled everybody should know that at this point <laughs> but taking the, the taking the universe and going that far ahead uh making uh picard be as topical as it is doing a children's show like prodigy and doing a show like lower decks this, these are bold bold swings and um 
as much as like especially did not like the 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 two jj movies myself so it's not that i can't be critical of star trek i do want to say that i hate it into darkness so i can't be (laughs) critical um however i do love this era so now now that we've talked about that let's get into lower decks um and once we get start talking at this point it's a free-for-all so jump in when you feel the need to Okay, I want to go first. <laughs> so here's the thing. I just picture, I just picture lower decks. I pictured being in the pitch room when they first had the idea, and it's like, okay, I want to do a show about second contact. I want it to be like not the bridge crew. I want it to focus on like you know the ensigns that you don't really see. Kind of like that Buffy episode where Xander takes the lead and uh, the Zeppel. Oh, or like that Lower Decks episode in TNG that's called Lower Decks. That's right, there you go. Episode. That's another great example. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up Buffy. Except um, for that's a depressing episode. That's a really <laughs> sad episode. It's not it funny. Okay, okay. But uh, I, it was. But the, the concept was hilarious. But So I'd be in that pitch meeting. I'd be like, oh my God, uh, like B-team second contact series of Star Trek. That is the best idea I've ever heard. We'll make it kind of funny. We'll reference a lot of the other Star Treks, but it'll be like not following a bridge crew for once. I'd say that's the best idea I've ever heard for a pitch. I cannot wait to see the show. And then someone was like, and we'll make it a cartoon. And that's where I was at. Like, I feel that everything I didn't like about the show was because it was a cartoon. Interesting. See that? <laughs> okay. So we don't have the same. The same no, thing. we're close. We're close. Okay. okay. Um I'll let other people go before I before I give my opinion because I think we need some positivity. So let's go to Anna next. Like um... with the posse, um, I think it's a re- just a really, really, really good Star Trek show. I think it's funny as fuck. Um, it's the I think the first show that is all out designed to be a comedy, and it's for me it's a comedy that speaks to like the little kid that was running around the house being like the bold be going his aliens with broomsticks like it's it's all of those little in jokes um and it's very comforting to look at like it's because it looks so much like because it's tng era um or just after tng era like it looks so homely to me um and i think the characters are really well drawn so I've had that I've known Anna for 20 years, and if I was trying to design the perfect character for her to like in the show, it would be Beckett Mariner. Beckett like she's got to be your all-time favorite uh, character. So good. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's really, really good. Yeah, and we'll we'll drill down on the characters a little bit too because I do do want to do that. Sarah, what are your overall feelings on Lower Decks? Because honestly, I actually I've seen you talk about Lower Decks, but I haven't seen you give an overall opinion. So I'm not even sure where you land. I I think, and I've always sort of semi-attributed this to generational differences. Uh, I, it is it is not a show I can binge because it moves too quickly for my Gen X ass. Like I have to watch one or two episodes at a time. Um, it it's just they talk too, too quickly. They, they, I have to turn on subtitles for sure. I usually have to turn on subtitles anyway. Um, and so it's just like, you know, they go, it's so rapid fire. You could miss so much. All of these references are, are packed together so tightly. Some of them are just visual references off in the side somewhere. And so you really have to be paying attention. And that combined with how quickly it moves makes it difficult for me to, to really focus. Um, so, um, and 
it's to me, I think the brilliance of it is that Star Trek has been around long enough now where it is becoming its own mythology. You know, you, you, you think about all of the stories that we have that are, you know, directly from mythology that we've seen recycled every 30 years, you know, stories like Thor, things like that, um, that have been around for, in some cases, thousands of years. And like, and they change and they grow with the culture, right? And, and the, the essence of what it is remains the same. And Star Trek has been around long enough now that it can start to do that. It can, it can play with itself. And, and that's what it's doing right now. And it's kind of like the being John Malkovich of Star Trek. It's full of meme. It's, a, it's the perfect show for the meme era, for, for, for the internet age that we find ourselves now, because everything is an inside joke. Everything is meta. And it's a Star Trek show about Star Trek itself. And so it's sort of, it has all of this flexibility to be creative and to play with the audience and to, 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 to say, this is really a show kind of about how the audience sees themselves. Because we all see ourselves as, as nerds, not badasses. The and so, are you know, absolutely fans. Yeah, like, it's easy to cast little, ourselves it's not in, like in those, in those breaking, roles. But it's like, yeah, it's like fourth wall poking. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like nerding out about Jadzia Dax and right. yeah, like <laughs> exactly. they're having the conversations that we have. Yeah. There are a whole bunch of like cartoons that are aimed at adults uh, that I just haven't seen, like Rick and Morty, which is one of the creators of Lower Decks. I don't know if you guys yeah. have all seen Rick and Morty. I I have not, yeah. but I definitely have some some nerdy friends who love it. Um, but you know, it reminds me of uh things like Invincible, which was another adult cartoon or cartoon for adults that came out. It was sort of like a superhero thing uh, that, you know, again, was good, but would have been better if it wasn't a cartoon. Um, and then- uh, You hate animation, don't you? <laughs> well, like, I mean, so I want to give my breakdown of how I feel about animation. It's just drawings. What's your well, problem? Well, okay. So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was a great movie, like a really, really great movie. Very good yeah. movie really really good movie but i have to give it less points than like the other spider-man movies because it's a cartoon like it just is a lower it's like an olympic uh, it sounds like a bias to me it sounds yeah. like you might yeah. have an anti-cartoon that, that's it yeah that's that's <laughs> no, not my I do. problem that's what I'm, i want to cop to that i'm not trying to hide my anti-cartoon bias but what what lower decks reminded me of more than anything especially at the very beginning was teen titans go and i don't know if you guys have seen that but it's I've sort of I don't go off off track topic here, but it's kind of a it's it's much more aimed at kids and a little sillier, but it's it's sort of like a meta thing on the DC universe that's very similar to the lower decks meta thing on Star on Star Trek. So whatever, I just wanted to throw that out there. But um, but so yeah, so yeah, most of what I didn't like about the show was that it was a cartoon, like because there are things that you just do in cartoons that are boring. Well, see, for me, like, I'm not anti that. I mean, the animated series, the original from the 70s, I actually think has some of the best science fiction that the original crew went through. Like, there's some really good science fiction episodes. I mean, I it, watched it as a kid, but I definitely have not seen it since and could not discuss it with that. I haven't, that, I haven't seen any, and I would love an episode list offline. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is an episode where they they get infected by a thing that turns them into practical jokers. And someone writes Kirk as a jerk on the back of his shirt. And I use that as an example for people who said that, or, well, basically it was a lesson for me because I'll get to why I don't like, one of the reasons I don't like Lower Decks as much as, as Anna does. And I don't, and first of all, I should say, unlike a lot of haters, 
if I don't like something, I'm not going to give people a hard time if they like it. That's yeah. one of the things from the, that I did. I, it took me a while. The first season of Lower Decks, I did not like at all. I did not like it at all. I had my brain rejected it and I couldn't watch it. And my first reaction was to tell people, I'm so happy that you love it. I wish I did. I just don't. And the reason why is because I take Star Trek very seriously. And it was my brain rejected the idea that it was canon. I just, because it was a cartoon and because people talk like, it's not that it's a cartoon, like Issa just doesn't like animation. I don't like <laughs> that people talk really fast and they're really it's animated. Like, it's like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. Like it's a, like it's a, Punchline yeah. after punchline after punchline, yeah. like yeah. And and so, and and the one, but I got used to it a little bit, and then I just I let go, and I just said, listen, if I laugh really hard at least one time in an episode, like when they mention Kalos's fornication helmet or whatever, and I get <laughs> like a good laugh out of it, then it's worth it to me that I've spent twenty four minutes watching it, and it's fine. But my problem is, is you can't call it canon and then have people make references to episode titles in, in it. That bugs me because that's like trying to have your cake and eat it too. Saying it, it is canon, but we're making references. I'd almost rather that they just do a spoof show and just, you know, and, and just do it as a spoof. That's, and I, I, I admit that's me being, that may be generational. I mean, I, I get it, Sarah's, <laughs> putting ammo in her, in her I, I recommend not caring about canon because yes. i don't yeah. care about canon and it i don't care about really canon. Well for me and <laughs> i just want to clarify like, i, I, I feel like canon was meant to be broken and fucked with and played with yeah. and the more seriously you take it the the harder of a time you're gonna have and to me lower decks automatically takes place in this sort of half real environment yeah. it just it i can't even though it's considered canon i don't I don't take it seriously as, oh yes, this is part of the same universe, but in the same way that I cannot possibly take seriously that TOS and TNG are a part of the same universe. I can't, my brain can't, can't process that. And we all sort of pretend, you know, we all sort of engage in this willing cognitive dissonance. We're like, oh yeah, that, those, I would those, completely those, agree with those that. totally happen in the same in the same in the same universe and you're like definitely connected <laughs> I have no problem connecting those because in my head like I can update Klingon makeup in my brain I can do all that but when they actually mention the name of an episode in in dialogue it just it hurts I can't that that's that's a you gotta problem. get over that I know I know I know I know I need to I agree. I feel like I need to clarify that I actually enjoyed Lower Decks. Like I didn't not like it. I'm mostly upset that they missed the opportunity to have like a really great non-cartoon show. Well, I just want a button that allows me to slow it down. The way that I listen to audiobooks at double speed, I want to be able to watch Lower Decks at, you know, half speed. speed. Yeah. <laughs> My old brain demands. I would, I would just say the answer is to watch them over and over and over. <laughs> I, I didn't mind the tempo. I felt like it was very, uh, it was very modern cartoon tempo, you know, like Family Guy or-, or But that's the thing though, if you're not used to watching, cause that's pretty much why I don't watch those shows. I don't watch Family Guy. I 
I don't watch anything with Seth MacFarlane because he annoys me. He has a punchable face. So um, you're going to get really mad when you find out that the Orville is my favorite new Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I like hate that take. Far. I hate that take. I, I have know. problems with that take, but I've already told you that before. We've talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I, I mean, I like Orville. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm I'm the Brandon Brown. It's lazy. Defender, but, um, it's but, lazy. It's lazy sci-fi. It, it should is. be so much better because Seth MacFarlane has such a fantastic brain and such a keen um, set of observational um, skills that, like, if he can create Brian the dog and Stewie the baby, why isn't he really delving into sci-fi concepts? Issa's heard me complain about this, but in season one of The Orville, and I haven't watched it all, I'm... Oh, it gets better. A, it gets better, but you keep watching. Whatever. <laughs> they did a um they like did first contacts on a, a race that had been kept inside under a big um like yeah the generational skylight yeah, yeah. yeah and they were just like the answer is to open it up okay we're off now and she's like you had this opportunity to bring all of this humor and all of these skills that these storytelling skills that you have to sci-fi and you've done something that's just really lazy well, Fair enough. Some some episodes lazier than others, you know. Yeah, I definitely think Orville got better, and I'm not anti Orville. I just I hate the take that it's the best new Star Trek because it is. I yeah. know. it's yeah. just because I wanted more Next Generation, and that is that. Yeah, I understand. It's Gen fanfic. It's definitely yeah. Next Gen fanfic. Yeah. Oh, that's what I decided to give a large budget to for reasons unknown. <laughs> but I was, it, it also drives me crazy when people say that it's it's their favorite of the new tracks because yeah i'm sorry like no it's, it's not star trek yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it it has enough it has enough differences that you know um you know i i just can't i i, I know it's a goofy take and then it, it, yeah. but but okay let's get back to lower decks anyway so <laughs> So the thing about Lower Decks that that I do really appreciate, and you should know, Issa, because I don't know if you know this, but is it McMahon, Michael McMahon, who created it? Um, they Part of the reason why he was able to pitch Lower Decks is that he had an ongoing thing where he invented a eighth season of Next Generation on Twitter. And he oh, just, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just I didn't this, know that. It was just this ongoing thing where he created what he would have done for an eighth season of next gen on twitter and that's how everyone found out that or i think that's how kurtzman and crew found out that he was like a massive star trek nerd and they're like oh this rick and morty guy um and so then i think they always they wanted to work with him because of that you know right like and and um and i appreciate that and like i said even if i don't really enjoy it um that much or i'm not a huge fan of lower decks i Again, I appreciate. Wait, did you really just not like it because of like references and canon stuff? There had to be more than that, right? Because it's really good if once you get past the cartooniness. <laughs> <laughs> no, I well, that's why I said. I feel it. like you're both hindering yourselves. <laughs> no, no, no. I still say it grew on me to the point where the first season I barely finished it. I watched it eventually, and this season I watched every episode each week as it came out. So. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it a lot more. And when we get into breaking down the episodes, there's actually episodes that I super appreciated um, in this season. Um, some not so much, but and uh, I still don't like kind of the yelly character things. 
and my brain still kind of rejects it but at the same time like i'm just letting go a lot like what sarah suggested i'm just letting go and enjoying it now that being said like i actually think prodigy looks amazing and i like the the take in the direction that they're going and i'm not anti like a show for kids in the star trek universe i actually think that's a I think that was a brilliant move, actually, to create a new generation of Star Trek fans. And I actually just like the direction they're going with it. And it should be noted that when we're recording this, today is the one-year anniversary of the Captain Janeway statue in Bloomington, Indiana, which is my hometown, because I share a hometown with Captain Janeway. That's very cool. (laughs) Fictional character. Yeah, no, that's awesome. (laughs) Hey, it's her fictional birthplace, and we have a statue for it. And it's yeah. a year old today. So uh, that is exciting. That is exciting. I don't see DC having a, a lot of statues in the US. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know what what uh, Star Trek captain came from DC. So I don't know what you've got going there. <laughs> you have Ian McKay, but that's it. So <laughs> and a whole bunch of shitty politicians. But sure. uh, anyways, Lower Decks, let's get into um, like episode by episode. Um, now, I've seen a lot of people complain about the whole Packwood storyline. And... Oh, no, that was great. I thought that so was really cute. fun. It was a perfect villain. I've been practicing my Packwood impression, not even for this conversation, <laughs> just around the house. Well, and maybe that's just, I don't know, but I think a lot of the things with the Packwoods is, is that I think a lot of people think that they didn't age well as far as the represent of, of that, you know, like what they represent. And a lot of people are kind of offended by the Packwoods as, as characters that, that they're these big, oafy, kind of silly, like, and like, how did they get spaceships if they weren't that smart? And I'm, again, people are overthinking it. Um, but what did you guys think about the, uh, about Boimler going to the Titan and that whole thing? Because I thought that was awesome. To, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. 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 I, I it was really funny. That they didn't, go on. Go, uh, okay, I was just going to say, you said you didn't like the first season. The first season really picked up towards the end, I thought. They kind of found their stride a little bit towards the end. And uh, the like Riker and stuff, that was amazing. Like, I thought that was hilarious. Um, and uh, him being on the Titan, just being like, you know, that whole episode of like, I bet Boimler's, you know, I, I, I bet Boimler's having so much fun on the Titan. And then he's like, ah, you know, that, that was good stuff. Like, I thought that was gold. Yeah, it was, it was a good joke. Um... I like uh, that they didn't do a hard reset between seasons, that they weren't like, and that has all gone back to normal now. I like that we, yeah. we actually had to find our way back. Okay, and then maybe, maybe actually, I kind of jumped ahead. Maybe we should talk about the characters as we get into this. Um, because I do think that's, because Star Trek's all about the characters, right? And the, the crew is is a huge part of, of what you have. And, and um uh, the big enemy mind fan in me is excited that Dennis Quaid's son is the voice of Boimler. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, um, huge enemy mind fan here. Uh, the, the, maybe the one, I don't know. Um, but uh, Boimler is a great character. I think his uh, over eagerness makes him the most Starfleet of the Lower Deckers, obviously. And uh, I think he represents... Um, you know, he's the most traditional of the Star Trek characters, but also his uh, wide-eyed nerdiness makes him, you know, the fact that... At least effective. Well, sometimes, <laughs> not in the Borg simulations, 
But uh, but he... no, season two he comes into his own, and it's a beautiful payoff for all of his nerdiness through like all of his hard work, and he starts to like put all of his book smarts together with like his friendships and his relationships, and you see him like standing up for his relationships. Yeah, yeah. season two is a huge payoff for him. He's so good. Yeah, and Boimler, I think he represents us, the nerds. So like. You know, he he. A lot of times, he's giving voice to the things like you know that we would be feeling. You know, which by the way, it's not the first time Star Trek didn't do this. Um, you know, uh, the Tribbles episode of Deep Space Nine had lots of moments where the characters were geeking out, like meeting Captain Kirk and and all mm-hmm. that. Which yeah, you did come around to Deep Space Nine, didn't you, Issa? Like eventually. yeah, I I never even finished it to be honest. Like everyone oh says it's better God. and they go off on the defiant, <laughs> and I've never seen that. Before. So, yeah, I'll get to it someday. So, I've just I've quite recently come back to, to DS9. I did not, I watched a lot of it because I'm I realize now because I know all of the characters, right. but I wasn't really paying attention. I'm and on the pod directive, I'm Tawny Newsom was talking about how that was her favorite um, channel of, of Star Trek, and I was like, oh, I must revisit it. And I'm, I think I'm like three and a half seasons in and oh it's like, just getting it's, going yeah like it's darker and it's harder and like it's less takes more hours of you to watch it but there's so much in there um, i'll go back i mean really really i would i would recommend it like yeah. I, I mean i'm sure and i would start at the beginning like it, 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 yeah. you kind of have to start at the beginning even though honestly it's the first so season i think is the worst first season of any search yeah. show it's so boring and it takes so long for them to get yeah you know, going where they want. It just, it feels like they're all setting up an abandoned shopping mall for the first season. And you're that just like, they absolutely are. That are is 100% what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I will say also that I think prior to Lower Decks, Deep Space Nine did comedy better than than any of the other shows. That like, um, TNG? Uh, you have not gotten far enough in your rewatch to see the best okay. moments of comedy. The episode, especially now that you've learned the term pinch hitter, there's a baseball episode <laughs> of Deep Space Nine that is absolutely hilarious. All Deep Space Nine episodes are baseball episodes. Yeah. <laughs> well, to a degree, but they take on, they they play Vulcan, a Vulcan baseball team in, okay. in, a, in, in Take Me Out. It's called Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. And it's very funny. But the absolute best episode of Star Trek comedy, in my opinion, is Deep Space Nine, and that's Little Green Men, the one where the Ferengi get, uh, end up at Roswell. Um, <laughs> and and uh, Quark that's says bigger. when he sees them smoking cigarettes that he's like, they pay money for poison in this century. We're going to make a killing. Yeah, I do think... to the Ferengi. Like, they just... Instant non-interest. Well, Deep, Deep Space Nine does a really good job of developing the Frankie past what we were presented with in TNG. Absolutely. Like, it's, yeah. Um, yeah so and it's, you can't even talk. Don't even talk to me about Frankie, yeah. Issa, if you yeah. haven't finished Deep Space Nine. It's true. Yeah. You haven't yeah. seen, you haven't seen the key text. That is fair. <laughs> that is totally fair. So, um, all right. So the second episode is a big one of this season. And it was definitely, um, uh, a huge moment for Lower Decks, and that's Kayshawn, his eyes open, because, <laughs> now listen, I've been on record that I do, I am not a Daramok, Daramok fan. It's not one of my Daramok. favorite episodes 
uh, Darmok, excuse me. I'm not even saying it right. Um, you know, I always make the joke, uh, um, Darmok, when the writers failed, is, um, is, <laughs> is the joke that I'm I always make. So disrespectful. I know. Well, it's, you know, I said I'm full like, of hot takes. But. I mean, they predicted meme culture. You can't, you can't, yeah. I mean. No, the best, the best like, part about that episode was. Linguistically interesting. Like, yeah. it puts you up against a, a culture that does not have any of the same reference points as you. Yep. Um, and it takes them way too long to realize they're talking a metaphor. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, but the best part was going to high school the next day and having everyone try to talk like that the whole day. That was, <laughs> that was entertaining. Oh, you went like to I a better high that. school than mine. <laughs> all right, maybe yeah. not everyone. <laughs> you mean you and Ken? <laughs> yeah, all right. You had a few friends, yeah. All right, so, but Keishad, his eyes open, is the first time that we've seen the species again and find out yeah. that they now have members in Starfleet, which I was... You know, even though I wasn't a fan of the original episode, that was that was pretty cool. And it was uh, great to see it was great to see the um the leader's sacrifice come to fruition. Uh, that was really satisfying because he sacrificed himself so that his whole race could be interstellar. Interstellar, intergalactic. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be interstellar at that point. But um, but yeah, and then the storyline with the um with the collector um, was very funny to me. Um, and that gave us KLS's fortification helmet, which was the, the loudest laugh for me. Um, <laughs> it was just safety so, best. Yeah. So that, and I think this was the first one where I just like afterwards, I enjoyed the episode enough that I was like, made sure that the next week I was like, I'm going to watch lower decks right away. So I will say that this is the one that kind of won me over a little bit where I felt like the references were earned. The, the story, it, it was paying off nerds who know the show and, um, and it actually like told a pretty good story. Wait, a uh, timeline issue here. We, we started talking about characters and we got distracted into the episodes, but yeah. I think, uh, I just want to make. Oh that yeah, I'm being a terrible moderator. Today. I feel the theme <laughs> of the show, at least in the first two seasons, has been: Do you blindly follow orders to be good at Starfleet, or do you, or do you, uh, you know, wing it and break break the rules? And I feel like that's like the main, you know, uh, Boimler uh, versus America. Versus Matt Renaud, yeah. yeah so that, that, I would take that, that even a step further and say that within, um all of the new Star Trek that we're seeing, we're questioning um, the uh, perfection of, of Starfleet, like that you shouldn't trust um, blindly. And I think that, you know, we're seeing that in Picard, I think it's like woven through Picard, it's woven through Discovery, like there are flaws in the system and what what's a, like how to work around them rather than just being. And that's one of the things that the the man baby nerds really don't like about modern Star Trek, actually. Well, I mean, it's it's fascinating to me because they one of the reasons why they're so difficult to talk to and argue with is that they don't understand that everything they're complaining about, almost everything, is a feature, not a bug. You know, right. when they complain about Michael Burnham crying, it's like, oh yes, that's a feature, not a bug. Do you do you want to return to characters who had implausible 
uh, psychological responses to traumatic events because you know we are assuming under the under the hood somewhere that they get their brain zapped after they have a traumatic experience and then they just reset the button and they're mm-hmm. fine the next week. Is that what we're what we're because I, we know enough I now. Love, I love Michael Garman. I think you know, and if they're going to do that, at least they should mention it and they should say that is what we are doing, you know, mention yeah. it in the show or whatever. But you know, those early Star Treks were so messy in that they would go through all this stuff and then they would press the reset button the next week and they'd be done. And so, mm-hmm. you know, every time the haters complain, mostly they're complaining about something that's really, really, really cool. And I think that you know, a lot of the reasons why TOS and TNG are seen as the most sort of colonialist of the Star Treks is that the Federation, even though they have evil admirals in TNG on occasion and everything, still there's this sense that, okay, well, white, white Federation is coming in and saving the day from the others, mm-hmm. from the aliens. Mm-hmm. And that's the pitfall that you have with this kind of show. If you want to have an optimistic space show and the leaders are, you know, white male captains and they're always swooping in and saving the day guess what colonialism comes up really really fast and it's really obvious mm-hmm. now to watch it um when it, back back in the day it wasn't you know obviously it's not what i was thinking about when i was eight years old but they've done a lot to course correct that and the new theories and really talk about what would be the weaknesses of a federation and could it actually run without all of this bureaucracy and wouldn't it wouldn't fit the flaws in it also go beyond just the errant evil admiral who would then get locked up you know but it would be a part of the federation that weaknesses and flaws and, and shortcomings would be part of the federation yeah I, I agree with all that but i feel that my i am a more i understand why you don't want to have like the perfect future federation thing that i actually really liked about star trek but I, I really dislike, like, we had this big thing and it was like the dream of a child and it ruined the whole universe, the galaxy, you know, like that, that drove me crazy. Like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen to be a little. Oh, on Discovery. To, yeah. To exaggerate yeah. a little bit, but it's like, they, oh, it's like okay. they went all yeah. dystopian because everything has to be dystopian nowadays, you know, and I really, I did not like that. Wait, which part do you not like? Uh, the, the burn. You know, like the whole uh, oh, the burn, okay. Died discovery, in discovery, yeah. The Kelpian kid. Yeah, right. Like that. That that was it made me very. I weird. was, I was, I was fine with that. I thought that they told this, they told the story well. Like they made it plausible, barring a little bit of the science. The one, the one best criticism I've heard of the new Star Treks in general um, is somebody who said that. Um, the new Star Treks, much like the Marvel films, believe that every catastrophe has to be civilization ending, you know, global uh, universe ending event, Mm -hmm. and that they don't tell enough smaller stories. And I think that's a valid criticism. I'm totally okay writing out the Marvel era and having some of that influence Star Trek, because I think Star Trek is big enough to experiment and have all kinds of creative iterations. And I think we will eventually return to those smaller stories once the era is over. Uh, yeah, but it's kind of, of, it's a valid criticism. Like you, you, you yeah. that's absolutely correct. We're going to see the smaller stories of Strange New Worlds. And, I, and, and I'm- Yeah, th- they're looking that, at a much more episodic. And by the way, that's the series that I'm most excited for and would well, probably sacrifice a, di- a, a toe to write for, but that, you know, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> But in case anyone who makes decisions is listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but but my whole 
I I understand your concern with with the burn and and it's it's an interesting thing to talk about as far as you know because I would say that there were times where Star Trek questioned the original series questioned the Federation and the Prime Directive, but they would always undo it with an episode like Omega Glory, where Kirk is like, you know, doing the preamble of the Constitution wrapped in a flag, and you're like, what the fuck, Gene Roddenberry was that? And and then so you would, I, I and also to what you're saying, Sarah, it is. I agree with you. I, I don't mind Michael Burnham crying a little bit because the fact that Spock had his brain stolen and replaced and he's just like, all right, I'm on to the next thing next week is pretty unrealistic, you know? So if we're going to tell modern stories and we're going to do that, that's fine. But again, it's the same thing of like, we're just having fun. So, you know, you, you, you can kind of enjoy it. And yes, you're right. I'm being a terrible moderator because I'm going all over the place. But as far as um, I, on the characters, we have, I do think, you know, for Mariner being basically the lead of the show, I do think it is a kind of funny reversal on that she has all the traits to be a great Starfleet officer, but doesn't, but doesn't give a shit. And uh, I thought that that was a really a smart creation by the Lower Decks team to like, put her in that position um her mother being the captain i was I, I you know whatever it's provided some funny moments um but i do like mariner as a character overall i like that they're kind of setting her up to be um you know it's i i i think i loved that that she said i'm not a kirk and in, in one of the episodes and i was <laughs> fine with that because Kirk would be famous uh, in that era for having been a great captain. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if anybody has anything else they want to say about any of the characters specifically. I really like uh, Rutherford is probably my favorite character because, um, uh, it, but I'm very worried about him. <laughs> you know, I, I think all the characters but he's are great. so upbeat. He's yeah. going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think obviously they're laying some groundwork for in his cybernetic uh, enhancement, mm -hmm. so we'll see what happens there. Uh, but no, I, I think all the characters are great. Um, I especially like the first officer, whose name completely escapes me right now, Ransom. Awesome. Yeah, uh, he is hilarious, and his when he when they fought to who decide who was going to have the duel against the big alien guy, and he did <laughs> yeah. the double fist punch for the first time. That was the yeah. funniest moment in the series for me. That was incredible. And, um, and then was yelling ethical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like there was. So that was, I, I really like him. I, I think all the characters are great. The security guy, I could, you know, the Bajoran security guy, little one dimensional. Jax is but, brilliant. He's yeah. not one dimensional. He's a completely yeah. different character in season two. He's fantastic. Everybody loves Shax. He's That's amazing. why they brought him back. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm so pleased he gets to shag the cat. Yeah. Like they earned that, the both of them. <laughs> yeah, his naked time moment was pretty hilarious. And then um, but I love that he yelled, um, fighting fascism is a full-time job. Yeah. Um, and that uh paid off the whole Bajoran thing. That was great. Um We'll get to what my favorite joke of the whole season uh, uh, was here pretty soon, but uh, but yeah, uh, Sarah, do you have any of the characters that you have a specific favorite of before we move into episode? My three? favorite is either Mariner or Tendi. 
Yeah. Tendi's great. Tendi is so great. Yeah. And I love that they have a, a, I like that she said, I'm not that kind of a Ryan. And (laughs) I loved it. It was actually saying like, Hey, you know, species are different, you know, because obviously, you know, not all humans are alike. And, and I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, Okay, so episode three was a was was a big one for fans because it was the we'll always have Tom Paris, and it was the return of a Voyager character. But most importantly, I think a lot of people were overly excited that Boimler had a plate mm-hmm. of a Star Trek character. Speaking of somebody who at one time had a Captain Cisco plate on his desk, <laughs> cannot talk shit. Um, that, that yeah, my wife somehow that they regularly lost. troll star trek shit posting for content i am sorry i will live and die by this reality i i know for a fact that the writers just sit around once a week on star trek shit posting and look for ideas okay i want to drill down on that in a wait, moment. Wait, your wife lost the plate yes my wife lost oh. my my captain cisco plate in yeah. the room and uh, it got lost yeah, uh, but I whatever so let's start down on this shit posting thing because like, explain for, for people who might not know what Star Trek shit posting is. Um, it's a very active Star Trek uh, message board on Facebook, correct? Yeah, there's like 100,000 uh, members. So yeah, it's very active. And, um, and I remember when this episode happened, Sarah, that you very specifically commented this was the episode that made you believe that they were definitely trolling that group looking for material. And can you go further into why you think this episode in particular? I mean, people, the thing about Star Trek is that loving Star, the highest form of loving Star Trek is making fun of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just so much to mock lovingly. And so to me, you know, even though sort of a lot of people are very literalist about the idea of what shitposting is, in fact, if they are too literalist about it, they quickly get their asses booed out of the group because, you know, if you come in and decide that you're going to make like, you know, jokes about, about pedophilia and Nazis, you're like, people are like, what the fuck? Like there's, there's an art form to shitposting. And luckily most of the members of the group understand that, um, but, you know, so there's just, and a lot of the content actually is quite wholesome um, and, and sort of, you know, makes us all love Star Trek and each other even more. But there are just so many different themes that go on in Star Trek posting, And then there will be memes about memes in Star Trek posting. So there'll be like a meme with, it's like four layers deep. And you had to have seen two episodes and have been online when the original jokes happened to even remotely get it. And I love that. I mean, I love internet culture in general. And so Star Trek ship posting to me sort of represents the best of what internet culture can be. A bunch of nerds coming in about something very specific who are making fun of something in love for it. Um, and there's honestly just so much to mock in Star Trek. And that's one of the things that makes Lower Decks the automatic obvious thing for them to do, right? Because you know, it, you, you just have so much material. You have 50 years of material. And it's just, it's really, really, really good. That's what makes it good. But yeah, I mean, Star Trek posting is just, you know, people making fun of Star Trek who love Star Trek. And it's not, most of it's really not mean-spirited. We do get into arguments all the time. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, you, I just, I would, they would, 
the, the Alex Kurtzman could tell me to my face that they do not look in Star Trek shit posting and I'd be like, you're a goddamn liar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, in, in, in the, the plate episode, I think just it really crossed a line because like the idea that Star Trek fans really do love their plates of their characters and have had them, it's a long running thing. So I, I, did I did not know that was a real thing. I had no idea. That's that's you can thing. you can get the lower decks one now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no. If you go to conventions a lot, the Star Trek conventions, a lot of times there'll be dealers, and then like, mm-hmm. and, and they'll and they'll be, you know, a whole wall of of the plates and the. I've just I've seen so many so many times too. If you watch Star Trek podcasts, they always have them on display. <laughs> it's like. So, Boimler having that was was very funny, and it was it did connect it to Voyager, which was a big move. Mm-hmm. The bold move bringing Boy. back. He had all the plates from Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised that they didn't have uh, Harry Kim come back and still be an ensign, and have like a joke about that. Um, well, they sort of did. They were like he was like all the way down to Kim. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, now, episode four was the one that had my favorite joke of the season, and the one that I thought was, and that's the Magatu episode. Um, and f- first of all, just bringing the Magatu back to Star Trek, and um, and just like how insane it was, how they did it with the Magatu humping things, and that whole thing was just hilarious. But to me, the fact that they every time they said its name they missed they pronounced it another mm-hmm. way was such a clever in joke that you know i made the mistake of trying to because my wife doesn't like star trek but she'd watch she didn't mind if i turned on lower decks because she'd laugh a couple times and uh that one i was like trying to explain no you don't understand like <laughs> deforest kelly said it wrong every time <laughs> like when he was filming it and that's <laughs> such a clever joke you know that that you know, in the original series, they didn't mean to accidentally say it different ways. They just did, and they didn't catch it. And so the yep. fact that every single time a person says the Magatu thing a different way, brilliant joke. Only a few people probably got it. Only the most serious nerds got it. But if you got it, it's super hilarious. And to me, that was that was the 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 biggest nerd payoff of the, of the season, and I loved it. It was so good. And that yeah. they they like made it canon within the show. So like as they were landing, Boimler was like, "Hey, you're not listening to me." They've got several different pronunciations for this. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. They made it canon, and mm-hmm. therefore, yeah, that was great. And forced um, canon. <laughs> yeah. So if you care about that kind of thing, the canon, what um, you're working on not not doing. <laughs> right. Right. But um. But uh, anybody else have any uh, big feelings on the Makatu episode? I, I didn't like that one personally. I thought I thought it was a little too silly. Um, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> you gotta like ghosts. I, <laughs> but you, I like dude. that it was sex. I like that it was sex positive. Yeah. Like, was is, it? He, is he is he asserting? No, I think he likes to watch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. And it should be noted that Issa sang for a hardcore band that I rejected for the same reason he rejected that episode. Because to me, hardcore music is very serious stuff. 
And so when Good Clean Fun put out their first record, I was like, what is this bullshit? They're singing all, they're making a joke out of hardcore. Like, I so can't if we were, that. if we were a modern band, we would be called like hardcore shit posting, basically. But the idea was we were, you know, mm-hmm. vegan straightish hardcore kids making fun of vegan straightish hardcore kids. And it's very similar. There's a fine line between, you know, a group making fun of themselves and people being mean. So, you know, it should be but, noted. Oh, that I eventually came around to good clean fun like I did Lower Tax. <laughs> awesome. Mostly because I met you and liked you. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I had a hard time with the band for a long time. So. Yeah, you, you were not alone. It was it was it was entertaining. I mean, trust me, it was hilarious <laughs> that people were mad at us. So that was that was good. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was the mission. But anyway. Totally. So, so Sarah, uh, episode five, an embarrassment of is it duplers? Was is that how it was? Yeah, the duplers. Mm-hmm. Now, I really loved this episode. Sarah, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about about Star Trek is that they're often sort of criticized for not being imaginative enough with their aliens. And that comes, I think, from the era of, you know, episode of the week. I actually think that, you know, you look at a lot of episodes and I remember a couple of weeks or months ago, I was watching like a Voyager episode and the they made an alien by literally gluing feathers like that you would buy from Michael's the craft store on their heads and I was just like wow did they run out of money that week I mean probably and you know they just they have a real biped problem and they they have you know and and I understand like they have 55 years they have you know however many goddamn years they have of content and it's really really difficult it's one of the things that I like about the new era of Star Trek because they're not you know a lot of people are like oh but we used to have you know, 50 episodes a season. It's like, well, yes, but you had a lot of filler episodes in order to make that happen. And they were airing on UPN and the budget was, you know, something stupid, (laughs) really small. And, you know, so, and a lot of the acting, honestly, other than like, they got so fucking lucky to get Patrick Stewart when they did, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of actors, Brent Spiner is a really good actor and they've got really lucky, but a lot of, a lot of them, aren't great at acting and so we look at all of this one of the reasons why they're campy and they don't necessarily translate or stand the test of time you should look back at that stuff and you're like damn they just did not have the money to put into this um and so I feel like with the animated they really do have a lot more options because they can just draw it and so it's really I really get happy when they do stuff like that with this show when they really just say you know what if Tribbles but a biped <laughs> that replicated itself because it was embarrassed and I love that it was great that was a great idea I really like this episode this episode also has a perfect example of why I don't like the cartoon format there's like <laughs> this five minute car chase that is just not something you could do in a non-cartoon and it just wouldn't it it was not a good scene like it just felt so it was a great scene were you not listening to them they were running commentary on everything that they passed and it It was like running commentary on 50 years of history yeah i mean like okay going through the vulcan ship was funny right everything else was just like they're seriously just like on a car chase like it didn't like it's sort of like the same complaint I have. People about, like, like car chases. You're just wrong. Well, it's the same complaint I have about like uh, you know. It was the hilarious new, new because Kirk. they were mocking car chases. No, well, that's I why it was it's great. Like, it's like New Kirk jumping a motorcycle. You know, like I I just don't think of that as Star Trek or interesting. Like you could have fast forwarded that part and it would have been just as good. But my my main point about cartoons is, if you were filming a, a live actor show, you would never do that scene. You know. There are a lot of scenes like that where it's like, uh, 
trying to think of good examples. Like There's one where Kendi turns Sarah's into... point, but making it a bad like you're just well, restating sort of. what no, Sarah that, said. No, but her point was about the creative <laughs> But the aliens could be more creative. But the the cartoon format also lets you be less creative about certain things. Like another example, just like uh, Tendi turning into a uh, uh, mantis creature mm-hmm. and uh, then having to make her laugh. Like that would have been forced to be done better if it wasn't a cartoon, you know? The, there oh, are things that I you don't did. know. It was so good. By the <laughs> way, the animated, the, the, the animated series in the 70s had the same thing. They had really cool aliens because of it. And one of my favorite things in the animated series is there's a scene where they go to the Guardian of Forever and they're talking to the Federation historian, and he's a full-on bird uh, with wings, and yeah. and that's great. He's yeah. like he's a full-on bird, and he's the Federation historian, and 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 that will make the animated series for me all day on Sunday um, because because they got to do that, and that was cool. So you can talk shit on cartoons all you want, but that is something that is cool. <laughs> no, it is we good. Get, it gives we get like Doctor to Anna. Who's like, yeah, like, yeah, like, like bones, bones squared. Yeah, no, no, 100%. <laughs> it lets them be more creative with aliens. Uh, I'm just saying there are certain scenes that it lets them just be lazy and get away with stuff. So that, that's now, now, embarrassment of Duplers, this is the episode, I think, right, where they end up at the bar with the, and they realize the Kirk that, and Spock bar. Yeah. Yeah, the Kirk and Spock bar, which at first I, I was like, come on. But then I loved the scene when, the bridge crew end up there and they realize they're and and then the lower deckers get to figure out that their ship is a lower is the lower decks. Yeah. That, that was cute. Of Starfleet. And I thought yeah. that is one of the best moments of the season and pays off a lot of stuff. And I almost wish that that episode was was later in the season. But that's just me being nitpicky. <laughs> um and then I don't really remember much about episode six, the spy, spy humongous. That was. I just need a, to find my battery cable. Please continue. I am still here. Yeah. Uh, that's when the spy, the uh, uh, I forgot their name. The uh, the spies on the ship. Oh, the Packlet spy. Packlet, yeah. yeah. The Packlet spies on the ship and uses the airlock as the bathroom. Is you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that episode, well, and then they did bring the cat species it's back. Jay-way. By the way. They, the cat doctor being there is a payoff from the animated series because there was there was a cat female crew member on yeah. the bridge of the Enterprise in the original series, the animated that. series. But they still haven't done Eric's, which was the guy who replaced Chekhov with the third arm, which I'm waiting for. They're, they've got to be planning oh, yeah. something big for Eric's. They've got to be bringing... He's probably still alive, like hundreds of years later. He could be that old. Wait, the they had the third arm guy with the the farm ship. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't. I can't remember. Was that the first season or? I don't remember which season it was. It was when uh, Boimler gets half transported and he's making the transporter noise, which was another one of my favorite jokes on the show, where they fix the noise and then he's way less annoying. Yeah. Um, but uh the noise I, was the most annoying part right, oh, yeah. <laughs> right exactly um but that episode the uh the guy that ran the captain of the ship that was taken to the farm had a third arm okay i don't know yeah. if that oh, yeah, was he did, didn't he he was wonderful yeah. i can't remember who played him but he was great and he had the squeaky laugh and at the end he was just like oh no that's just the way i laugh please continue yeah. <laughs> 
One thing too, for those of you who have not watched the animated series is that they did not pay money to have extra actors. So all the Star Trek actors do all the voices and it's kind of fun figuring out, oh, that's totally James Doohan or that's totally Michelle Nichols. Like, you know, and it's a, it's a fun, fun thing. Um, And so then episode seven was the uh, where Pleasant Fountain, uh, where Pleasant Fountains Lie. This was the one with the engineers, like royal family, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it, the the planet with dragons that was settled yeah. by Renfair people. Yeah, <laughs> that was cute. right. And then that one was good, but the um, that also has the sentient supercomputer voiced by Jeffrey Combs, which was great because he's that puts him into modern Star Trek after playing like a gazillion characters in the Berman era. Uh, I still think of him as, as um, Herbert West reanimator, but the, uh, the super sentient computer, like trying to constantly get them to plug it in mm-hmm. was, was very funny gag. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, and I like that Mariner didn't trust Boimer and Boimer like he was, that's a very good coming into his own episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on this episode from anybody? Um, I will move on then. <laughs> because the next one is very I, I important. Love, I love the AI, I love the the AI trope. Like just I that won't get old for me. It will take a really yeah. long time for that to get old. And when they put him away at the end with all yeah. the other computers just being like, I will destroy no, I will destroy you. Fantastic. Well, and the reason, one thing that added to me with that one is one of my favorite Star Trek podcasts is um, I have a podcast I listen to called Trekking Through Time and Space. And it's a podcast where a Star Trek fan is teaching a Doctor Who fan about Star Trek and a Doctor Who fan is teaching them about Doctor Who. And so they're, they've been, they're still in the original series for Star Trek. And, the, and each week they do an episode and they've done so many supercomputer episodes. And I immediately <laughs> tagged them and I was like... <laughs> because um ht the doctor who fan she she hasn't watched past original series yet right but jacob the other host i was like they were just had an episode where they were talking about supercomputers like the week that that episode came on so it was it's very good timing and i do believe um okay so then the next episode is the i excretus which is a huge episode a big one that mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm, definitely mm-hmm. probably gonna get into a lot um, this is the one with the consultant who arrives to the Cerritos to um, put them through the training exercises. This is the most references. This is a genius way to do all kinds of references because you could mm-hmm. you could do board, you could do naked time, you could do mirror universe, you could do all that. Uh, yeah. Tendi um, with the with the Klingon who's been paralyzed was my favorite yeah. moment. Now, starting with Sarah, what was your favorite thing in this episode? favorite reference that they came to how did you feel about this episode i don't know if i can pick a favorite reference because the thing about each episode is they're so thick with them that i would have to see them teased out and then be like oh yes that one was my favorite um but uh i mean i loved the the western bits uh i loved the the boiler walking around with for babies. I mean, that was actually one of those funny things because we've always sort of joked in Star Trek ship posting about like, you know, why did they just leave that baby there in the episode of, <laughs> of where they like discover uh, seven of nine and there's like baby 
and they're yeah. just like, oh, well, and they just put it back in the drawer. And you're like, what the fuck? And that's that's one of the running jokes on Star Trek ship hosting. And so to, to watch Boimler running around with an armload of Borg babies mm-hmm. is like, oh my God. That's it's, more it's, proof, I think, of them reading shit posting than the play. I know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The Borg babies, I would say, is I I, I you know, I'm I've looked at Star Trek ship posting a little bit and I've seen the Borg baby commentary before and and so that one i did like get a laugh out of that saying like ah yeah, they're definitely <laughs> paying attention there yeah. and the borg babies were adorable yeah <laughs> like like non-cartoon borg babies utterly freaky yeah cartoon borg babies adorable yeah <laughs> um i will give you that that is a point in favor thank you <laughs> i will take it <laughs> um yeah, and I thought just the concept of this episode was really brilliant. It's hard to believe how much they got into 24 minutes of that episode. Was, that was the right. one where I was like, wow, they they got a lot in. Um, just uh, as somebody who's watched since the original series, Naked Time is one of my least favorite episodes of the original series. <laughs> and so to see Shax just yell Naked Time, like, with the was uh, was hilarious to me and like one of those moments is one of is probably my third favorite joke of the season and the fact that it was a gift within like an hour of you know that it was that you could get the naked time gif gif mm-hmm. out there was great you knew that was going to get memed and um that that was that was really good and uh yeah i love that episode so any other? I, I, really, I really enjoyed Rutherford trying to open the warp core so he could get it, <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't open the thing because it would just burn his hand every time he touched it. And then because Spock put on gloves immediately, yeah, like right. he knocked right. he knocked someone out, took some gloves, and knew what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I want and... to call, call out the horse stomping on Mariner. Like that was just straight up raw comedy it was fantastic <laughs> and every time i've watched it i like it's very a crack up <laughs> yeah no i thought that episode was um that that's one that i think i could watch again which uh, there's not i mean for me lord x like once i've watched it i probably won't watch it again whereas regular star trek i watch you know i wait time but then i watch I, i've watched it many times and that one you know it is is one that's worth repeating and um now uh the next one way douche if uh, my klingon is correct um this was also a really smart episode because this is the one where we got to see the the lower decks on uh, in other species mm-hmm. and um the klingon <laughs> lower decks was amazing i'm glad i lived long enough to see targ fart jokes um <laughs> because that that is now a thing that there are targ fart jokes and um you know for me that episode just seeing the other the other lower decks and i know there's been a lot of talk online that people are convinced that this vulcan character is coming to the cerritos definitely yeah yeah well she's definitely coming to starfleet isn't she so she'll definitely be important i think they were setting up a whole next generation of uh, like stories for, for this yeah, show. I think the, we're definitely I getting we're going to follow that young um, Klingon as well right exactly yeah and it ties to the larger Pakled story which is good 
Um, but Pathfinder story is really now just a Klingon story, right? Yeah, like we half fit up the chain. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, it depends on whether they're all dead or not. Like Pathfinder planets has just been excluded. Right. And this episode is going to be really important and it's going to go down in history because it premiered the Ritos uh, t-shirt, yes. which, um, you know, which is going to be a big deal. Now, coming up, uh, one of the things when we talk about like how smart Kurtzman and that crew and that era is at like dealing with fans, um, the Ritos thing, the fact that they had those shirts ready to go was a big deal. But um and I know Sarah probably knows this, but I don't know if you two know this because this is something that happened in Star Trek fandom. But the week that episode 10 came out, the conclusion to this, there were a lot of very active Star Trek Twitter fans who had packages in the mail with Cetacean Ops t-shirts. Like, um, wow. and it, was, it was amazingly fast. <laughs> Yeah, it was like they were in the mail like the day the episode was released. And I was pretty freaking impressed that the Star Trek, you know, hive mind was... Yeah, was able to move that quickly. Move that quickly and knew that they would they would be getting all kinds of attention because every single person on Star Trek Twitter who got one of those boxes immediately is posting pictures in their Cetacean Ops shirts and look what came in the mail. That's really smart. I've never mm-hmm. seen Star Wars do shit like that. And I got to say, that that was beyond the episode. I just wanted to put a shout out to Star Trek um, for doing that. That was super smart. And then it made me say, yeah. why am I not doing more on Star Trek on Twitter? Because I didn't get shit in the mail. <laughs> so, um, also, they really built up the Cetacean Ops joke over a few episodes. I, I'd have to go back and watch it again to figure out when they first said it, but it yeah. was a repeating joke, and, and yeah. it didn't really pay off until the end there, but that was really good. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, because um, this is this is kind of my area, like storytelling and marketing, and I, I get really excited when brands um, become less precious about their content, and it means that you can do things like this, um, because you're not obsessed with having the full name of the show or the logo on the on whatever you're producing means you can create something that lets people reach through the fourth wall um and yeah it lets you like feel rather than just own things um which i think like star trek fans are good at anyway like we feel this 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 fandom deeply but providing providing stuff that um that is a little bit more fluid and a little bit more engaging in that way usually comes from people being less precious about their like make their logo bigger um and there's so much like there's an exciting future there i think yeah for for example when i got this hat this discovery hat right Mm -hmm. my wife said everyone's gonna think you're in the navy right (laughs) you're in san diego so (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is i told her i was like well if somebody looks closely at it and if they're a big Star Trek fan, they're going it, to, it'll be funnier for, for that person. It's, it's, it's including yeah. stuff. I have um, uh, Daj's necklace from Picard and it's, it's made by the jeweler that made the one for the show. Um, and it doesn't say Star Trek on it anywhere, but every now and then someone will see it and be like, oh, Daj's necklace. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's, uh, yeah, one of the one of those fun things about it, and um, yeah. 
Oh, and hey, we're getting an example of like how global this particular panel is because it has gotten dark where Sarah is and we still have sunlight dark in everywhere. Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. So, and I should say we have Connecticut, uh, Australia. Yeah. And then two Californias. I, think uh, the sun, I don't think the sun ever sets on this podcast team. So, you know. Yeah. That's cute. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, you know, and it's okay. So that last episode, the first first contact also was a big deal because they brought back Selena Gomez as a captain and her first introduction in Star Trek, the next generation was to accidentally run into Picard, right. Or something. And I then, had no idea Selena Gomez was in this. I don't, I don't even know. Uh, who did she play? No. So, Oh, no, wait, did very... I say Selena Gomez? I said, yeah. oh, my God. That's so funny. Captain Gomez, you mean. Captain Gomez. Captain Gomez. So, <laughs> I was really confused. So it's so I, funny. Like, I was sitting here like, this is because I'm Janet, and I, I'm not familiar with I'm like, with, wait, who's Selena Gomez? Kids. I think my kids okay, like her. I just, I, yeah. No, that's only murderers <laughs> in the building, okay? Yeah. I got it. I'm sorry. So, I mean, okay, so go. We'll edit, Captain, we'll edit that out. What was our what was our leading? No uh, way I don't think the sun out. ever sets on this podcast audience, <laughs> you know, this podcast channel, whatever, and then just cut to there. <laughs> All right, so go. But she was a character who was in one or like three minor episodes. She was like just in like a couple scenes, The Next Generation, um, and she was an engineer, and so she's the captain of the other ship here. And um, I love the concept of them having to take the, the outer deck plating off in order to be able to get through whatever it was that they yeah. were getting. Yeah. And then it was funny, too, because I did, I did see immediately see memes that went out that said naked time with the, the ship, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> well done, Star Trek fans. Um, that, uh, that was very clever, too. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that the Cerritos saves the day there was, was, was awesome. And, yeah. and, you know, it really set up the, uh, the, the crazy ending for the season um, and, and the cliffhanger and uh, which, you know, is good. But so how does everybody else feel about this last, this finale, starting with Sarah? Um, I loved it personally. Yeah, no, I, 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 I thought it was great, especially the lead up where, you know, you kind of tell something was going to happen because she's like, I, I don't want to take the promotion. I'm like, oh, oh, oh shit. And, <laughs> and uh, no, I thought it, it was a great, great way to, you know, because it, it, again, alludes to all of these moments in Star Trek history of, you know, conspiracies going on within the Federation and evil admirals and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and, um, we still don't know what's going on with Rutherford, obviously, at the end yeah. of this. But no, that's uh, super exciting. Yeah. So and I have... love how chipper he is about everything. He's like, I think I found out something yeah. I shouldn't know. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do like Rutherford, and I think the idea, the science fictional idea that he was afraid to erase the memories of his friend, is really cute and mm-hmm. and and a really a uh, great moment and um and is one of the and things it's such a wonderful allowed for such a wonderful summation when he deleted and you got all of the flashbacks of him in 10d yeah um just like a what like five second snapshots of their relationship really beautiful yeah 
And I will say, dude, I, I also love the cat captain and and uh, or the cat uh, doctor and that um and that whole episode where the whole that was another great joke that the whole episode was built on getting the box, getting the, box. the thing for, her, and all she wanted was the box. Yeah, uh, was was <laughs> such a great cat joke. That, yeah, um, and then and then the reluctance to hug, and then once once they got the hug, it's like, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a couple really really great uh, cat jokes there. Um, mm-hmm. But back to the ending, I really liked the ending. I thought it was one of the few my like again my whole cartoon complaint is it has that whole like um everything is super predictable and if you don't pay attention for a little while during certain parts it's not that big a deal because probably nothing important is going to happen uh it, it does well it doesn't have the same gravity agree, but carry on <laughs> yeah i know i know everyone disagrees but sometimes cartoons can be a little silly they're a little less a little less serious than non-cartoons and i thought this was one of the ending the cliffhanger was a surprise like you didn't see that coming and I thought that was cool. Like I was actually like surprised. Whereas the rest of the show is sort of somewhat predictable as to what's going. They hadn't over. They hadn't over signaled the um uh Packard Klingon um conspiracy stuff. Like they'd given right. a very. I love underwriting for stuff like that. Yeah. Like they'd given a very gentle nod to it in a, in an episode that was largely about something else. Right. Um. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No. No. And I think I think it worked out. Uh, pretty pretty well and I, I do like what you're saying about the underwriting because i think you know there is i'm kind of allergic to exposition sorry to cut you off but like no, i no, get no, no, really no, no. like yeah no. yeah i get that and it's hard in science fiction not to do uh uh exposition and and actually mm-hmm. uh you know we were just having a discussion about the new dune movie about um how one of the most brilliant film science fiction like world buildings that i've seen in a long time was the desert mouse in uh dune and that that yeah that the sweat was collecting in its ears and then that was licking the sweat like that was brilliant world building without saying a word Mm -hmm. i think it went Mm -hmm. over a lot of people's heads but that's the kind of thing you know it's genius and and you know and, and i do think that lower decks like for for all of its goofiness it has really good writing and it has and and you know people who listen like i gave you know kurtzman was involved in writing into darkness and i can't like you know so i'm not going to say that the guys everything he does is perfect i've been working on a defense of the jj films that one of these days i will actually finish writing it's i've been working on it for three years I really enjoy them as films. Like I yeah. really, really enjoy watching them. I'm. I just there isn't. There doesn't seem to be like an underlying point to them for me. Like well, it doesn't seem to. JJ doesn't seem to want to say anything. But I have watched them a number of times and enjoy them a whole bunch every time. Yeah, they're they're yeah. fun. But why they could just be not Star Trek. You know what I mean? Like there's no. I don't know. But wait, I want to back up to Doom for a second. Uh, I don't want to get, I don't want to be a big nerd or anything, but it's not sweat on the- <laughs> Way too late for that. Best of luck. Okay. It's, Way too late. <laughs> it's collecting water from the air, and that's what some beetles do in deserts. Okay, 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 okay. Yes. All right, fine. To be a nerd about it. But, but listen, I, I will say, um, I'm, not, I'm not completely anti the JJ movies. I actually like the third one. 
Um, Which was the third one? That's the Kirk with the motorcycle thing, right? That would be Beyond with yes. Jayla. Yeah. Jayla. Yeah, I actually like Beyond quite a bit. And then um, there was plenty of things about it that I liked. And uh, my, I just really thought the decision to do Khan and, and, and Into Darkness was one that was doomed to failure and was, was just a bad, I bad, bad I'm here for it. Oh, like I bad, love original Khan so much and I just felt like this was a lovely homage again it didn't really have any deeper meaning to it which I was sad about like original Khan yeah. had so much and I can never it was has heard me complain about this before but I will never get over why the Enterprise was under the ocean for no reason it makes no <laughs> sense it's just a cool effect because well, why not feel, it's yeah. just the coolest shot i mean so you gotta yeah. you gotta look at how it do you feel about being able like, to hey, just transport yourself across the galaxy well that, oh yes he knows that that's yeah. the that was that was the stupid thing <laughs> yeah the fact that they could transport to chronos means there's no reason for starships right. and it just doesn't make any sense and my brain rejects it and i can't help that with into darkness but i will say this Nothing that JJ did in Star Trek is as bad as anything that he did in Rise of Skywalker, which was an absolute abomination. And this coming from a guy who did like Force Awakens, but I cannot take Rise of Skywalker. And and so nothing he did in Star Trek was that bad. And I I will I will give him that. But anyways, back to what I was trying to say is I think Kurtzman is doing a great job of overseeing the writing, and I think Kurtzman is being a great steward of Star Trek. And people who have this rosy image of the Berman era just makes my brain hurt. I mean, I like a lot of that stuff, but that I think a lot of that was despite Rick Berman. And I know I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, and, and look, um, you know, they were up against a lot doing Star Trek in those days. When I interviewed Brian Braga, he was, it was funny to me that it was weird that how, much he didn't care that he knew he'd written one of the worst episodes of star trek when we were talking about threshold like he literally was like yeah yeah i i wrote one of the worst ones but you know what <laughs> it's like you can't win them all yeah. <laughs> you know and he had a really funny attitude like he was proud of the fact that it had taken that it was considered one of the worst episodes like he he's like yeah i flew too close to the sun on that one i get it and <laughs> and i love that they had that kind of that, that attitude about like we know we're making this and it's different now because when they're writing 13 episodes tops of a season you mm -hmm. can't you can't have as many you can't have duds you, you just can't like yeah you used to. yeah and uh so i think that they've got a little bit more pressure on them and i, I think kurtzman is doing a great job okay yeah. so um uh overall thoughts on um let's let's go around and do our overall thoughts in season two and then where what we're excited about coming down the pike for Star Trek, uh, starting with Sarah. Um, I just kind of want to see where they're taking it. Um, you know, I, I, I've never been one of those people who sort of looks at what, you know, whatever, uh, who sort of imagines like what I hope that they're going to do next season or whatever. I'm mostly just excited to see what, whatever, wherever they're going to take us. Um, so I'm not really a predictions person, um, but I've just been really glad that each show is really different. I think also when, when it was announced that, you know, discovery did well, so therefore they announced Picard and then Picard did well and therefore they announced 
and all we are getting all of this Star Trek. And I think the only thing I was really worried about is that they would all be too similar that, you know, that then it would sort of be stretched thin and that, may, that maybe even the, a lot of the same staff would be working on it and it would all kind of feel too much the same. And I love the fact that they took it in so many different directions and that each show is very much its own. Um, it makes me just really happy because there, again, there's so much room for experimentation within Star Trek. The core idea is so different even though there's so many things out there that are very similar in some ways, it's still like, so even if you look at, you know, the superhero movies, there's only so much you can do with superhero movies. And we really only see them experiment with, you know, when Ragnarok came out, that was the first time I really respected a superhero movie. I would go watch them and be entertained by them and watch them once. And that would be it. That's kind of how I feel about Marvel. But when Ragnarok came out, I was like, this is amazing. My head's exploding. came out. <laughs> When Loki came out, this is amazing. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I'm i just so, so glad that they really are experimenting in real time and not giving a fuck instead of trying to do the safety route or trying to do the sort of um, focus group route, you know, where they desperately try to appeal to fans. Because I think Star Trek has already tried to replicate itself multiple times. I think we saw that with Voyager, we saw that with Enterprise, and it's a bad idea. I mean, I love some of that Star Trek, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but a lot of it was, you know, when you took the sheep Dolly and you made a copy of Dolly and then you made a copy of Dolly and it's just, it's a bad, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a bad idea. So I'm so happy that all the shows are different, that they're all doing their own different things, and, you know, uh -huh. it's just... I agree. I agree. And and I, um, when I interviewed Brandon Braga, he's he one of the things he said was he said that he was jealous of their effects budget and he yeah. was jealous <laughs> of the ability. He, like he did mention he was like, hey, they are getting to do some really different stuff. And that's really, really yep. cool. Yep. And mm -hmm. so, you know, because I think they would have loved to have been able to stretch their wings that much in the Berman era. And they're just, they just didn't, you know. But also Berman clipped his own wings. Like yeah. if you're talking about storytelling, like the way that he uh, pigeonholed his women and like all of that shit. Like as soon as you look into that, it's very disheartening and amazing oh, that awesome. we have characters like Jadzia Dax actually still be like phenomenal, interesting characters with depth. Um, despite having to like Terry Farrell having to go to Berman's office to get her boobs looked at to see if they were the right size in the costume. Like, yeah, he clipped well, his own and, fucking wings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and Brandon said it, yep. and, and I thought this was, he said when, when I was interviewing him that he fully intended for Seven of Nine to be full board. When he first thought of the idea, he wanted her to be full board mm -hmm. the whole show. Like, <laughs> you know and the, uh, uh you know and that was their original envisioning of it and it's too bad like if that had been a transformation that happened over like a couple seasons think how much better that would have been you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know yeah. would have just been yeah, the transformation i will never forgive them for that transformation it was so brutally fast and it was so really fast. stupid to imagine that a doctor would put her in that outfit with those heels absolutely <laughs> yeah and the whole like 1950 she takes down her hair and the doctor's like oh like, yeah i know oh, God. <laughs> that is, like, it's, and why does she have to most, like it's aggravating disgusting thing i've seen in yeah. star trek and that's saying a lot 
Yeah. 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 And well, I think nymphomaniac. Um, the doctor does Balkans not get called out enough for too. being an old pervert. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I understand he, he's got comedic chops, but he's an old pervert. The character was written as an old pervert and played as an old pervert. <laughs> Interesting. Well, <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the future of Star Trek. Um, Anna, what you, your overall thoughts in the future and the where we go from here? I'm I um I'm enjoying a couple of uh sort of tropes that we're seeing and a couple of like I'm. Um, like Sarah, I have I've no want to guess what happens next. I like to go in completely blind. I want to see like full um yeah, I, I don't want to know anything. Surprise me, like full immersion if possible. Um, but I love um the way some of the shows, uh, particularly Picard and Discovery, and yeah, I guess Lower Decks do like a bait and switch, but in a really positive way. Um so like we, uh, season one of Discovery, um, we didn't see um, Q and um, his husband kiss for a really long time. And it was like, okay, so what are you like, what are you doing with this? And they were laying in the foundations for those characters and then the kiss was a big reward. And then when they killed off you, it was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are we burying our gays? And no, they weren't. Like they were doing, they had a longer, they had a longer game to it. And I just, and the same with Berman crying. I feel like that was a, a bait and switch that I was here for. Um, like when I first watched the first couple of episodes and Thurman was crying and they killed off the, the female captain, I was just like, are, are you kidding me? And I didn't watch Discovery for like until near the end of the season. And a good friend of mine was like, you should really revisit that. And then I was all in. But I'm here. I'm here for that. And I have a lot of trust for what they're what they're doing with the universe at the moment. Yeah, I've been telling people that you have to really give this Star Trek time because mm -hmm. a lot of times when you think they're doing what they're doing, they're they're not. And and um and you gotta be doing amazing switcheroos. Yeah. You gotta be here for that. You gotta love yeah. it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Isa. Uh I I wanna talk about how on the the more industry wide level there's like a move towards shared universes. And Star Trek was sort of one of the early examples of that. Um and then, you know, obviously all the Star Trek stuff took place in the same universe. We'll put aside the alternate universe stuff of the J.J. Abrams era, but whatever. Um, the Murray and, uh, Yeah, and uh, I, I think, you know, Marvel, obviously, Sarah, Marvel is my, the Marvel movies are like my favorite thing ever. Like, I've been waiting my whole life for these movies to be made. Uh, just to go backwards a second here, I was a comic book nerd as a kid, and every once in a while there'd be a comic, I used to do comic conventions, and there used to be, sometimes they would match them up with the Star Trek convention, and we'd take place in the same thing, in the same hotel, yeah. And it would be like, like, are you here for the Star Trek convention? Like, no, I'm I'm with the comic <laughs> people. Anyway. Um, and obviously there's some crossover there. But, uh, but you know, I feel that if Star Trek can, can go, you know, the way of the MCU or whatever and be uh, this thing that tells a bunch of different stories that all kind of fit together but don't have to all fit together and all can be very different, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that's what they're doing pretty much. And... Um, and, you know, just to now that I feel that everyone's listened to me talk about for two hours the cartoon thing and maybe understands my point a little more there. Um, no. I'm most, now, I'm mostly <laughs> just, uh, I mostly just want it to be, I like my Star Trek a little more serious, I guess. And I don't mind it funny. Like Orville works great for me. I think it's hilarious. And it also works as like a Star Trek show, even though I understand it's not a Star Trek show. 
Um, but I mean, it's like saying, you know, that Oasis is your favorite band, but you hate the Beatles, you know? Um, I mean, or, or those basically. It's no, it's not. <laughs> 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 um, and, just have uh, to like live a puddly and knock that shit down. Okay. Yeah, that, that was a terrible, terrible thing. Carry on. <laughs> Wait, because you like Oasis or you don't like Oasis? Uh, because I'm from Liverpool and I grew up on the Beatles. Yeah, right. But you understand that Oasis is like a be- you, there are no Nobody Beatles. Nobody gives no a hoot about Oasis. They're very boring. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like the Orville. <laughs> or, okay, that whatever. was that was intentionally harsh. Yeah. yeah anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. I am very excited to see how it goes. I do like, I've really enjoyed all the new Star Trek stuff. Um, you know, I, I have my complaints, but I, I feel like it's more, you know, it's, it's to the point where it's like my favorite things, but I still wish they were better. And I know that's sort of like an unfair thing to say, but like, just to take Picard as an example, they could have spread that out a lot more. And I think it would have been a lot better for it. I don't know why it was so rushed. You know, I don't know what the production decisions behind that were, but I don't know that they were sure Patrick Stewart would do another season. Yeah, that that would be my guess without knowing anything else about it. But, um, but you know, like they had a lot of great concepts in there that they would quickly just gloss over, and uh, you know, it was really good though. I still loved it. Um, you know, so everything I, I complain with a grain of salt. You know, like I, I'm complaining, but I still love it. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited for more. And I, I also don't really care where they go as long as it's good. Like there's no, uh, a lot of people think that, you know, people talk about burnout, like, oh, we can't have too much Star Wars or, oh, we can't have too much this or that. As long as it's good, good. you can have as much yeah. of it. You know, just don't yeah. make it bad. Like just keep making it good and you could do one every, one movie a week or whatever, you know? So I'm excited for more. Yeah, I would like to, and I, I believe this is an opinion that Sarah might share with me, but I'm not sure. I would love to see. Wait, maybe maybe it was you that said this. Maybe it wasn't. But I know one of my Star Trek uh, friends said this. Said it. They agreed with me, which is that I would love to see more non-Starfleet shows. I would like to see shows set in the Star Trek universe that are not, you know, all Starfleet crews. In fact, yeah. if they if they said, "Hey, David, you get a Star Trek show." you can do whatever you want. I would be doing Jake Cisco as a, a investigative reporter, um, like going around the Federation in a heartbeat. I would love to see like that show um, where he's not affiliated with anybody just like going around doing investigations. I think that would be, because then you could do story of the week. You could do mythology. You could do both, yeah. you know? And uh, yeah, you never realize how sort of white people centric Star Trek is until you, you float mm-hmm. some of these ideas and you see how, you can feel that internal response where it's like, oh, wow, that would be really different. And it's like, when you start asking yourself why, like, I mean, Michael mm-hmm. Dorn has said, I would love to do a Worf show and I, we would love that. And yet That'd be incredible. how likely is it that something like that would be bankrolled? And it's very frustrating. And so I yeah. feel like there's a lot of subtext to the haters and you know what they're really saying is they miss that sweet colonialism because they were the heroes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yep, that's, yep. that's what the haters are always saying. Yeah. Like that's always the hater subtext. Yeah. Yeah. Why isn't this like what I remember? Yeah. And um, it's hilarious when they're like, you know, um, saying that, Rod, you know, it's not very Roddenberry or whatever. And it's like, well, first of all, Roddenberry was like developing edict, edict pins so he could sell them on uh, through the mail like while well, he was doing the show so like, don't make him out to be the biggest saint in the universe either but like 
you know, whatever. Anyways, my um, my overall feelings on lower decks, I've made pretty clear. I I I I'm getting with it, but it's not my favorite. I cannot wait for proper Star Trek to come back. And Discovery is what I'm probably most excited about the next season of Discovery. Mm-hmm. You have uh, now said in this podcast that you are the most excited about three different shows. You okay, said well, you're most excited about uh, the other cartoon. The I forget the name of. The no, team. no, I'm excited for, for that one. <laughs> you're no, you're right. One. You're, you're right. excited for I'm... Strange New Worlds, and you're exci- most excited okay. for for Discovery. That's three. That's all of them. <laughs> no, I didn't say Picard. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I am excited for Picard. Um, well, I would say probably the most would be Strange New Worlds because okay. Captain Pike is mm-hmm. my Captain Pike in the second season of Discovery is pretty much my favorite captain. Um, like ever. she's good. I'm excited like, for number one because yeah. she's like, and I feel like I don't know if this is her choice or not, but I feel she's an underused actor. Um, and she's so talented. Um, Rebecca Remain, right? Yeah. I'm um, like she's so good. I'm so looking forward to seeing her like in a position of authority. Well, and I just felt like with Captain Pike, it and like they just nailed a character being like a perfect Starfleet captain where he and I just love that they had they won me over on Captain Pike when he walked onto the bridge and said, What ship storm have we walked into now? And when he said when, when he said that, I was completely sold on Captain Pike. And I was like, all right. I get this guy now. I get what, where it's going, and I I can't wait for Strange New Worlds. But yes, I am excited for Prodigy too. I expect to like Prodigy more than than um, Lower Decks because I do feel like you know I like that they've said that they're not dumbing it down, and that they you know that not every kid who watches it is going to get it, but the ones that do are like perfectly who they want to reach. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think also is going to get cool. better and better. Like I think oh, absolutely. it keeps going, it's going to keep getting better. Yeah. yeah it's all and I'm excited. Yeah. I, I said that I was not excited to see where things are going, but that's not true. I'm really excited to see um, like Discovery gave us a black couple saving the fucking universe last season. Like let's have more of that. And let's like, let's have Michael as the like very talented, but slightly imperfect captain um and you know maybe this is maybe this will get us our michael dawn show like let's get people let's get representation on tv so we can get better tv yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i think prodigy too like i know some people are i'm excited about janeway being on the show ish Mm -hmm. um but i i love that it's a whole that there's no humans on the crew um i think that's i did not know that I've yeah. gone out of my way to um, avoid any knowledge other than Janeway about this. So yeah. I'm excited about that too now. <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to say that I, when I, I have a rule that when white people are sitting around talking about adding more inclusion into shows, I just sit back mm-hmm. and want to talk about it. But, uh, but I appreciate <laughs> that. And, <laughs> you know, Star Trek has always been uh, ahead of the time, which is good. And I hope it just continues to do that. Yeah. 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 But, we, I, re- I rewatched the um the motion pictures recently and like if you're just looking at again sort of being more forgiving about what they were able to do in the past like if you're looking at the background casting like it's very diverse like all the secondary characters yeah um which you know very important for just getting people fucking paid um but yes hopefully more bridge crew 
Yeah. And I do yeah. love that George Takai had refused to take a demotion to come back. That oh. once he once his character made captain, oh, he was yeah. like, he was like mm-hmm. fuck no, I'm not flying the ship again. Yeah. You put me in the chair, I'm not coming back. And yeah. I love that. And that mm-hmm. and for that reason and that story was why Sinequa Martin Green said that she wouldn't sit in the chair until she got the promotion on the show. And so if you notice the discovery, she never sit like even when they give her command of the bridge. Yeah. She would not walk around. She yeah. Would, she stood there. She would not sit in the chair. I didn't know that yeah. story. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. She she refused to. And it was because of the George Takai story that she heard mm-hmm. that yeah. when he said he wouldn't give up the chair. And and that that was what inspired her to be like, you know, I'm not until my character gets that nod, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not doing that. And her journey to Captain was great. Like a bunch of people said that they comforted it, but I, I thought it was just really positive and human and showed, like, I think we're really bad at showing good leadership on TV and what, like, and all the facets of that. Um, and her learning curve to like giving it to Saru and then being like, oh no, actually this is me and I can do this was. Yeah. yeah good stuff. Also, just while we're on it, Saru is probably my favorite new character of any of all the entire new Star Trek stuff, or maybe the old stuff too. Like, what a great character. Yeah. Great, great character. Doug Jones is amazing. Yep. And he's from Indiana, so I got, you know. Oh. <laughs> um, Congratulations. <laughs> hey, Hoosiers do cool stuff. They just don't do it in Indiana. That's the Kurt Vonnegut quote, because uh, he was from Indiana as well. Uh, I believe it was Cat's Cradle. It was in the book. He said, Hoosiers do wonderful things, just not in Indiana. Um, but uh, anywho, on that note, um, does anybody have any final words they want to say um, before? Uh, and hopefully we'll uh, see each other again, either. Uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be the same career every time, but I'm definitely, everyone's welcome back and is going to be there. So, and if there are shows that you're like super passionate about, uh uh, let me know because uh, I we're gonna keep uh, I want to keep the Star Trek discussion going. I love Star Trek and it's so much fun to talk about. And uh, you know, you guys were awesome. So, any anybody any closing thoughts? No, just thank you. I'm I'm glad that we got to have this conversation, and I hope your yeah, listeners enjoyed it too. Yeah, yeah, I think you guys did awesome. Anna, anything? I'm I would like them to make the um boots that the lower decks crew wear with the delta on the sole i would like to own a pair of them alex kurtzman if you're listening get some mm-hmm. boot makers get me those goddamn boots i need them <laughs> sarah close us out I got nothing. I, uh, I'm just, uh, there's nothing more that I would enjoy doing on a Sunday afternoon than nerding out with Star Trek fans. So I'm having a good day. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Uh, thanks for listening everybody. And, uh, we'll, uh, talk to you after Star Trek Prodigy because I believe that is next. So yeah. Um, and, uh, but, and if anybody, uh, my podcast has all kinds of panel discussions and things, going on at non-star trek related lots of authors including best-selling authors and so on and so forth like subscribe and all that bullshit um and please come back thanks <laughs>